Well, good morning, Stonebridge. Have you ever gotten a call or an email or a text that was just so incredible and, and just like, wow, that just happened to me, where, where you're just floored and just left with mind blown? You know what I'm talking about? Where there's just, there's, there's no way you could have even imagined something so great happening to you. Uh, if something like that has happened to you, I want to encourage you, uh, put that in the comments here. If you're on Facebook, it'd be fun to see that. If, you, if you're brave enough to share that briefly, uh, we'd love to see what's happened to you. Maybe put like a hashtag, uh, unimaginable grace or some, something like that. But, um, you know, something where it just leaves you going, why me? Who am I, you know? Well, something like that happened to me. Uh, about five years ago today, actually, I got an email from a guy named Troy Nesbitt. And if you know, know who Troy Nesbitt is, he was the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in Ames at the time, who planted our church. And he, got, he sent me an email basically saying, hey, I've heard about you from other people. Uh, we're interested in you becoming our, our pastor for our new church plant. And I'm like, what? I, I grew up um, going to Hidden Acres, and then I, I was a counselor out there. Uh, and while I was a counselor during the summers, I would go to Cornerstone Church in Ames. So I looked up to Troy uh, and, and loved that church and everything going on. And, and it was like, what? You're asking me to, to plant a church? Like to, to help you guys plant a church? Why me? Who am I? You know, and I, I could go on with stories like that. But uh, in, in Genesis 11 and 12 this week, which is where we're going to be camping out, we're going to be focus on, uh, focusing on 11, 27 through 12, verse 9. But in there, we're left with that question. There's this dude, Abram, and later called Abraham. And we're just left with this question of why this dude? Why Abram? He, he's a nobody, really, that God just pours out blessing on. And, and really, that's all of us, right? Just nobodies that God pours out his blessing of salvation on. And, and it should just produce in us an unimaginable obedience to him as we're just so amazed. Like, who am I? But yet, you're giving me your grace. And so let's look at this. We're going to see here that God's unimaginable grace is just poured out on Abram who's just this, this nobody. So verse 27, 11, 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. There's our guy, Abram. Nahor and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his, of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. That's what they're at to start. Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The son of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Remember that. She couldn't have children. Verse 31. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram gets this unimaginable grace from God. Now, grace is simply this. Grace is undeserved favor, undeserved blessing. And Abram certainly didn't deserve it. Okay, he was undeserving in all sorts of ways. But the first one is nobody was deserving at this time of God's grace. And no one is ever, but especially at this time. Remember where we left off in chapter 11, a couple weeks ago at the Tower of Babel? Tower of Babel, they were building this thing to try to make a great name for themselves and to be like God. And we saw what happens when people do that, when Eve did that and sin entered the world. And now we see people doing that with the Tower of Babel. And so we're at this time where that's people. People are scattered throughout the world because they were trying to be God. So no one deserved God's grace at this time. On top of this, Abram was from the wrong location. Look at this map with me. And this is, we can see this in, in verses 27 and 28. Canaan was, was over here. And the, this, which is the land that God promises Abram, we see later in this passage. But Abram was across the desert over in Ur to begin with. Okay, Ur was 1,000 miles away. And you couldn't just go straight over as the crow flies. You had to go around what's called the, the fertile crescent. And this was simply where it wasn't arid, where you wouldn't die while you're trying to get there. So they had to go around a thousand miles away. And when God calls him, he's a little closer. He's in Haran, as you can see on this map, but he's still 400 miles away from Canaan, from Shechem in particular, where Abraham or Abram lands in this passage. Now I want to give you some perspective here. Des Moines to Kansas City, okay? Imagine for a second you were, you were, going to walk from Des Moines to Kansas City, because why wouldn't you want to go to the city of champions? You know what I'm saying? But imagine you had to walk from Des Moines to Kansas City. It would take you 7.3 days to walk to Kansas City from Des Moines if you walked 28 miles a day. And by any walker's standards, that's, that's a pretty hefty load per day, 28 miles a day. It's the wrong location. Abram did not deserve this because he was 7.3 days away. Imagine if God called you to go somewhere that was 7.3 days away. But here's the thing. It probably took him longer than that. I don't think he was able to do 28 miles per day because he had to bring everything with him. All of his, his possessions, all, all of his family. Okay, so they're not going at a pretty brisk pace here. So it probably took them longer. But here's the catcher altogether. Des Moines to Kansas City is only 200 miles away. You'd have to walk down to Kansas City, catch a Chiefs game, and walk all the way back to get 400 miles. Maybe you wouldn't have to catch a Chiefs game, but it sure would be fun. But anyway, that would take you 14.6 days. Can you imagine God calls you to move somewhere that takes you 14.6 days to get to at least? He's in the wrong location. On top of this, remember we saw in verses 29 and 30, Abraham's wife, Sarai, is barren. She can't have kids. 
It's kind of hard to start a whole nation when you can't have kids. His wife, Sarah, can't have children. And so I'm sure, or at least I would be tempted to go, okay, are you sure you got the right guy here, God? Abram is undeserving. He's also undeserving because he, he had no previous relationship with God at all. In chapter 12, verse 1 there, when God speaks to Abram, it seems like it, from what we know, from what we can see in scripture, it's just random. For all we know, he was off bowing down to an idol, to a statue right before God showed up and spoke to him. We don't know. He's in a pagan, idol-worshiping, godless culture at the time. And God just randomly starts talking to him. I can't even imagine what that would be like where God just shows up and just starts speaking to you and tells you to do these incredible things. He's also so undeserving because it seems like God just closed his eyes and just pointed, okay, that dude. But that was the point. See, that, that is God's upside down economy. The first will be last. The last will be first. Now, I want you to imagine for a second, this isn't going to happen, by the way. Uh, I promise you it's not. But imagine for a second that I took this $100 bill and decided that I'm just going to give it to Josh Beeman, our worship guy, for no reason. I mean, he'd think that that's, that'd be pretty cool. At least he better think that's pretty cool. But imagine I give him a $100 bill, a, a Benjamin, right? It's Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin. I don't see these often. I'm sorry. But um, Benjamin Franklin. Okay, imagine I just give this Benjamin Franklin to him and he's like, oh, that is cool. That is cool. But imagine if I gave this $100 bill to some random person that's watching this right now that I've never met. That would be extra sweet, right? But what if, what if I gave this $100 bill to someone who murdered my family? Imagine someone murdered my family and I gave them this $100 bill that would be unthinkable. That would be unimaginable. See, the thing with, with grace is that the more undeserving the recipient is, the sweeter the grace is. And the sweeter the grace is, the more amazing God looks. And so we see here in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God's unimaginable unthinkable grace and blessing is poured out on Abram who didn't deserve it at all. Look verse two, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a shift in the whole book of Genesis. Before, we just got glimpses of God's grace. But now, we're starting to see how his plan to bring his grace to the whole world is going to unfold. We saw in chapter 3, verse 15, we hear about this snake crusher, this serpent crusher that's going to come and defeat the devil that's in the lineage of Eve. And we know now on this side of redemption that that was Jesus but that was just a glimpse of it. And they probably didn't even know what he was talking about. 
Noah was rewarded for his faithfulness. And we saw a glimpse of grace, not just through Noah's reward, but through God putting the rainbow in the sky, setting his warrior's bow down and pointing it up towards him, hinting at Christ who was going to come. But now God spells it out more clearly and gives us the plan. Here's the plan to bring grace to humanity. He says, first, I'm going to make a great nation, Abram. I'm going to make a great nation from you. And that nation we're going to see is the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. And we see later, we see that, that, that actually that, that nation from God's chosen people, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus comes from. So a great nation. He pours out his grace on him by making a great nation, by making a great name for Abram. And that's in sharp contrast to what we saw in chapter 11. Chapter 11, at the Tower of Babel, people were trying to make themselves have a great name. Look at me. They were trying to, to build up their own reputation. And here, God is making Abraham's reputation and name great. I'm going to give you a great nation, a great name, and I'm going to give you protection. He says, him who dishonors you, I will curse. I'm going to protect you, Abram. And then on top of that, I'm not just going to bless you. I'm going to bless everyone. It's like God is saying, my, my grace will flow not just to you, Abram, not just to your family line, not just to the nation that comes from your family line, but to the whole world. And we know that came through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Unimaginable grace unleashed on earth. Talked about right here in chapter 12, verse 3. At the end of verse 2, it says though, it says, so that they, so that you will be a blessing. He's saying, here's why I'm giving you my unimaginable grace. It's so that you can turn and then be a blessing to other people. His intention to, this whole time was that this unimaginable blessing and grace that God pours out on Abram would produce an unimaginable obedience in Abram. And it does. So let's keep reading in chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country of, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This unimaginable grace from God in verses one through three now produces unimaginable unimaginable obedience to God in verses four through nine. Abram believed God's words. Look at verse four. Abram went as the Lord had told him. See, God just spoke to him. He heard God's word and he trusted God to the point of action. And that's what belief is. 
Belief is trusting God to the point that you do something about it. And this is much like Noah. Noah obeyed God. And kids, listen up, okay? If you've been tuning me out, kids, listen up, all right? This is great advice for you as kids in regards to your parents, okay? Noah and Abram obey God without hesitation, without complaining, and precisely as God had told them. Man, if, if you kids are able to do that, you'll be doing well, okay? Without hesitation, complaint, and precisely as God had told them. That is how Abram obeys. That is how Noah obeys. That's what you do when you believe God's word. You obey without hesitation, right away, without complaint, without complaining or arguing, and precisely just like God tells you to. And Abram acted radically here. He got radically uncomfortable just as God asked him to do. I don't know if you noticed it, but look back at 12 verse 1. He told him to be radically uncomfortable. Go from your country. Leave the comfort of your own culture and nation. And then he says, go from your kindred and your father's house. Leave the comfort of those people who are closest to you. See, what you have to realize is culture, a person's culture and a person's family were central to their identity and their security at that time. Leave the things that give you the most comfort and security and, and secure you in your identity. That's what God's calling him to. That's the radical call of Abram. And in ver- to add to it, in, in verse 4, we see that Abram was 75 years old. So don't just leave your comfort, but leave your comfort even though you're established and more set in your ways at age 75. That is radical obedience. Imagine if God asked you to move to Papua New Guinea to do tribal missions, to go there and and share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus with people in Papua New Guinea that have never even heard the name of Jesus. But let's imagine that on top of that, you have to learn a new language, you have to give up internet for the rest of your life, and you have to become a vegan. Now, no offense to you if you're a vegan, that's great. To me, that would be terrible. I love my meat. Okay, Uh, and that's not what you have to do. I actually have some friends who are missionaries in Papua New Guinea. It doesn't require all of the sacrifices, but let's imagine that it did require all of that. I'd be like, God, what? Okay, but imagine that God just showed up randomly. You didn't know who he was. He showed up randomly and told you to do that. That's what happens here, essentially. I'd be like, what? Who are you? And you're telling me to uproot my language, my relationships, my internet, and my meat? This is crazy. But this is what Abram does. Notice all of these words. There's no hesitation here. There's no complaining. He went, he took, he set out, he built, he moved. Action words are packed into this passage unimaginable obedience to God. But Abram worshiped as well. His obedience showed itself through believing and through acting, but then through worshiping in verses seven and eight. We're told in verse seven that he's not going to receive this land 
His kids are. My natural response would be to just go, what, God? You, you drug me 14.6 days journey away from my home with my family and all my stuff and leaving all my comforts. And now you're telling me I don't even get the land. My kids get it. What are you doing? But Abram doesn't do that. Abram worships. He has this unimaginable, obedient response to God and builds an altar. He says, essentially, God, you are amazing. I love you. I love your grace. You are so good and so full of grace. What can I do but worship you? Then in verse 8, he continued worshiping. He built another altar down at Bethel. He doesn't go, wow, God really blessed me. Look at me. I'm the man. No, he goes, look at God. He is worthy. He worships. And I think about us. I look at Abram. I look at the story. I see his unimaginable obedience and God's unimaginable grace. And I think, why me? Why you? Why anyone? Think of the unimaginable grace of God for us. Think of how undeserving we are. All of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard. In Romans 3, we see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And like Abram, we're all in the wrong location. We're on a planet, in case you haven't noticed, that is just full of brokenness and sin and disease and terrible things. We do not deserve the grace of God because of our sin. And like Abram, we had no previous relationship with God at all. Scripture says that before we believe in Jesus, we are dead in our sin. Dead in our sin. We are so undeserving. It seems like God just closed his eyes and just pointed Especially when you consider how terrible, how wicked, how nasty your thoughts are at times. Let's just be honest here, right? We all just have thoughts that are just incredibly wicked that we would be so embarrassed by if other people knew them. But God knows them, yet pours out his grace on us. Who am I? What is that? And God's favor and blessing is on us anyway. And we see this passage with Abram applies to us today. And we see it spelled out in scripture. So I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3 with me. Verses 7 through 9. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The gospel, the good news is preached to Abram before the fact. He hears, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And we see from verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. It's talking about us who believe. All nations will have the opportunity to receive God's unimaginable grace someday. 
And that day is now when Jesus came and offered this to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross. And we see this pattern of God's unimaginable grace being poured out on undeserving sinners. We see this as God's plan from Genesis 12 all the way through the Bible. So look at Titus 3 with me. One of my favorite passages, Titus 3, 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating each other. That was us, undeserving, in our sin. In verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But just like Abram, unimaginable grace produces unimaginable obedience. So look at verse 8. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to what? Devote themselves to good works. To devote themselves to good works. We are still called to be obedient. But our obedience must flow from that grace. You see in Titus 3, verses 3 through 8, verse 8 follows verses 3 through 7 on purpose. It doesn't start with, hey, devote yourself to good works. And by the way, God has poured out his grace on you. No, he starts with grace. You don't deserve it, but God's poured it out on you. And because of that grace, live in that grace, love that grace, and then let that produce radical obedience in you. I love the, the song that I've been hearing on the radio lately by the band called We the Kingdom. And they say, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. God is offering his unimaginable grace to you right now. Trust him, receive it. But it's the only thing that makes me want to change. So don't get the cart before the horse. Don't start white knuckling it and just trying to obey, obey and be better and look like a more polished Christian and all of this junk if you throw out God's grace in the process. If you forget that you are an undeserving sinner in desperate need of God's grace every moment, every second of the day. Because if you forget that, your obedience will just be like a noisy gong or clanging cymbals. It means nothing. But if we let God's grace to saturate our hearts and then have that grace flow out to other people, then we'll be doing something. Look at this picture. Heather snapped this picture this week of our two-year-old Ian, our youngest, in the bathtub grasping for the water that's coming out of the faucet in the tub. And he was just fascinated by it. And she took it thinking, oh, this will preach. She didn't think I'd use it right away, but here it is. She was, he was fascinated by the amazing constant flow of the water and was trying to just grab onto it, but he couldn't. And very soon, like all of us, with water, we, we'll get over it. He'll get over it, right? 
and probably take for granted that water's coming out of the faucet at home until he has to start paying the water bill when he's an adult, which isn't cheap, I've learned. But we need that. We need that two-year-old fascination with God's amazing grace. God's grace is just as unimaginable today, just as abundant and overflowing as the moment you believed in Jesus. Let it wash over your thirsty soul every day. Keep coming back to the source. And as you do that, let that grace lead you to obey in unimaginable ways. You know, some of you, as you're hearing this, God might be calling you to become a missionary or to go into full-time ministry, do something incredibly radical and earth-shattering like Abram. But for others of us, he might just be calling you to faithfully be Christ right where you're at in the exact same situation and roles. But for others of you, you already know what God is calling you to. He's been knocking and saying, hey, I want you to do this. Listen to him and obey like Abram. Remember and enjoy God's unimaginable grace poured out on you daily. And then let that grace move you to unimaginable, head-scratching obedience. Let's pray. God, thank you for your abundant, amazing grace. Help us to let it just wash over our souls, even as we worship now, God. And let that propel us to do what you've called us to. Help us not to harden our hearts, but to listen to your sweet voice that's full of amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.